Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Okay, so welcome everyone to the Pelvic Health Podcast. We have a super special episode for you today. So it's sponsored from the Coaching and Training Women Academy from Girls Gone Strong. And we've got Molly Galbraith back to talk to us all about the pre and postnatal coaching certification, which is open for enrollment. What are the dates? Yeah, so the pre-sale enrollment, uh, if you're on the pre-sale list, it opens February 6th. And you can get on the pre-sale list by going to academy.girlsgonestrong.com. So that allows you to enroll almost 48 hours before everyone else. And you also save $200 if you're on that list. And then it opens to the public February 8th. And when does it close? Um, well, probably I'd say it's going to be open for about a week. So we only take a limited number of students because it's really important to us that we can take care of those students and serve them and answer all of their questions and just making sure that they get, get, they get the attention that they deserve. So we take a very limited number of students. So I would say five to seven days or until it sells out. Cool. Oh, thank you so much for coming back. Um, we are going to talk about how to help pre and postnatal women get the coaching and care they deserve, which you go into depth in your coaching certification. Um, but I thought it was really good to talk about it today as well. So um, if we start, so within your certification, you talk about having the coaches um, gain the skills and knowledge to give women the coaching and care they deserve. But can you give us kind of a explanation to what you feel coaching is? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of people think of a coach as either like an athletic coach or maybe like a nutrition coach or a coach in the gym. But from our perspective, a phys- or a coach is anyone who use their, uses their skills and knowledge to help someone get from where they currently are to where they want to be. So that can be a physio has a role as a coach, a registered dietitian has a role as a coach, an OBGYN has a role as a coach. How can we help the uh, patients and clients that we're working with get from where they are to where they want to be? And I talked to you know physios and spe- specifically all the time whose patients struggle to be completely client with their treatment. And it's not, yes. And it's not because the treatment's not helping the patient. It's often because the person lacks the coaching skills and knowledge to understand how to work with their patient to create a treatment plan that they'll actually adhere to. So, you know, if you like think can think of if you are treating a patient, for example, and you can think of um, the most perfect treatment plan, if there were one for them to follow, if they're not going to follow it, you'd rather have them follow one that's not quite as good most of the time versus trying to follow a perfect treatment plan 0% of the time, something that feels so overwhelming, right? 
you're not gaining trust and buy-in from the patient, you may be giving them too many exercises, failing to ensure that they don't understand what they're supposed to do, and on and on. So I think it's super important for any health professional who works with clients or patients in any capacity to take them from where they are to where they want to be to have kind of the, the skills to coach and work with their clients and patients to develop their, their treatment plan or their training program or whatever it is uh, with them bought into it. Which is, um, I mean, when I went to school for physio, it was quite a while ago. Um, and I remember them talking about this, but not going into detail on how to do this. And so that's why you say this is aimed at physios, as in we are coaches, but I don't think we consider ourselves as that. And I don't know how much in the curriculum people guide them on how to do that. Mm-hmm, absolutely. They can give you all of the X's and O's and tell you what your patients should be doing. But if you don't know how to actually get them to do it, you know, I think the 1.0 version thinking is like, well, it's the patient's fault. They're doing a bad job. And it's like, uh, there, there's a little bit of responsibility that we have to take or a lot of responsibility that we have to take as health and fitness practitioners to work with the people that we're trying to help to figure out what they're ready, willing and able to do in order to help them improve whatever situation they're in and reach whatever goals that they're, that they're aiming to reach. So is there any specific um, tips that you have without, so within this podcast, so obviously in the coaching certification, you go through that in detail, but any kind of quick tips right now or ideas that people can take away in order to understand how they might be a better coach? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, listening is super important. So Marika Hart was on the last episode here that uh, that I was on, and she told me a stat when she was reading through parts of the certification. She's like, you know, it's so easy to like the listen to your patient or listen to your client. That seems so obvious, but she told me a stat that she heard that physios interrupt their patients every eight seconds when they're talking. So I think you know, first things first, listening to them is so important. Repeating back what they're saying really digging into why they're there to see you beyond physically what might be going on with them. Figure out what their goals are. Figure out what's important and valuable to them. Um, There's a part in the certification where we talk about, for example, if you have a, uh, a patient that you're trying to get back to, you know, after some kind of like hip issue or something, you're trying to get them back to be able to walking around and feeling better. And if they're not being compliant with their exercises, but you're digging into who they are and what they love and what their why is, maybe they have grandchildren that they want to walk around and play with. Maybe they love to play golf. Maybe they love to, you know, swim or something like that. Like what is, what's the why of why they're actually there to see you? And you can't find that out unless you're actually listening to them. Another thing that's really important when you're coming up with a treatment plan or an exercise program for someone is figuring out what's going to be realistic and sustainable for them. So, so important. If you're prescribing exercises, five exercises for your patients to do every single day, are you asking them, is this something that you're ready, willing, and able to do? On a scale of zero to 10, this this one is so great. On a scale of zero to 10, if I give you these five exercises, how, uh, what's the likelihood that you think that you're going to be able to do these every day for the next week. And if the person doesn't say a nine or a 10, it probably means that it's not going to happen. So saying, okay, great. Uh, what are the three most important of these five exercises that I was going to prescribe to you? And then saying, okay, what if I backed it down to three exercises? So it's going to take you six minutes instead of 10. What's the likelihood on a scale of zero to 10 that you're going to do this every single day? And if they say, I'm a seven and say, okay, great. What's the likelihood that you're going to do these three exercises four days a week? And they're like, 
I could do that. I'm a nine. Perfect. There's your plan, right? So you start with what you think is going to be, uh, your, what, what you would have them do in an ideal world and then work with them to figure out if that's something that's actually realistic and sustainable for them. Nice. Um, now, so other than the topic of coaching, what I was also wanted to get into, one of the topics that you talk a lot about is body embracement. Now, women have, women who've had babies particularly have lots of pressure to get back into kind of their pre-body shape and whether that's social media driven or family or friends. Um, but we see a lot of women who are using intense dieting or intense exercise. Um, and again, social media, I find, especially, I don't know if it's just lately or Instagram, you know, um, because you don't really have to read, you just see these photos and little kind of taglines in it, you know, four weeks post baby, and they look, you know, like they've never had a child before. So I find that it puts a lot of pressure on women or women put a lot of pressure on themselves to try to get their body back. So what role do physios and other health professionals have in helping women struggle with this? And how do you address it within the coaching certification? Yeah, absolutely. So this is such a good question. Like you said, it's, uh, it's so prevalent, the pressure that society puts on women and also women put on themselves for their bodies to look a certain way. So we define what's beautiful or what's good in this super narrow context. It's an impossibly narrow context. You can't even, people can't even achieve it. Celebrities can't even achieve it. You'll see like, what does the perfect woman look like? And I'll have one celebrity's lips and another celebrity's hair and another celebrity's butt, right? Like even the most famous you know, conventionally beautiful people in the world can't achieve this. So we put an enormous amount of pressure on ourselves and health and fitness professionals are often on the front lines of those conversations with their clients and patients. And like you said, the pressure could come from society, could also come from their partner. It could come from friends or family. Maybe their sister lost the weight, you know, overnight. And she's like, oh, wow, I can't believe you had your baby this long ago, right? Like it can come from everywhere. And it's super, super challenging, especially for women who have recently had children and are undergoing all kinds of physiological changes, hormonal changes, structural changes with their bodies who are lacking sleep, who are feeling possibly emotional, maybe experiencing baby blues or postpartum depression or, you know, postpartum PTSD. So it's a really vulnerable and challenging situation for a lot of women. And I think, you know, our immediate reaction when a woman says like, oh, my body looks like this, I want to lose weight our immediate reaction is to say like, Oh no, you look great. Like, don't, you know, don't worry about it. You look great. Or like, you know, wow, you've already lost 20 pounds. That's amazing. As if like the most amazing thing that the woman has done in the last six months is lose 20 pounds. Like she just birthed a human. Right. So I think that there are comments that we make to them. We can, um, you know, we can invalidate the way that they're feeling. So if a woman comes and says, I'm feeling really uncomfortable, I still can't fit back into my pre-baby jeans, and I really want um, want to get my pre-baby body back, I think first things first is to not dismiss what she says, right? But you also don't want to agree with what she says. So it's a really important to say, I totally hear where you're coming from. This is a really common thing for new moms. A lot of women who come in here have the exact same goals. It's super normal and, you know, I want you to know that you're not alone in this. Can you tell me a little bit more about why this feels so important to you? So get curious with them. Ask questions. Be there to listen. Lend an empathetic ear. Don't dismiss what they're saying. Help them kind of try to get to the root why of why do they want to get their 
pre-baby body back? What does that mean to them? Because for them, for someone, it might not even be the way that it physically looks. It might be the things that they could do. If a woman's coming to you and she's having pain or, you know, leaking or heaviness in her pelvic floor, like that might be what getting her pre-baby body back means to her is being able to run or, you know, do activities or things that she loves without having those feelings. So I think digging into what that really means to her is super important. I love that you, what you just said now and what I've so far read in the manual, because I haven't finished it yet, um, <laughs> is being curious and listening. So I love that that idea of, you know, trying to get to know the person um, and being curious about what they're interested in, because it's, you know, it's, it's easy enough to have kind of a list of questions that you would run through, even if they're open-ended. But if you're not genuinely curious about their, you know, the reasons behind why they want things, then I find it doesn't come as natural. And your questions, you know, you still might hit kind of roadblocks with people because they, you know, people sense whether or not you're really interested in what they're saying and what they're talking about. So I found that what I'd been reading so far really kind of emphasized that people really need to have that curiosity um, surrounding people's lives. Think about how powerful it is for a new mom to feel like someone in her life cares about her well-being in that moment versus the baby, right? So we know as soon as women get pregnant, everyone's all about the baby. Oh my gosh, the baby's so exciting. And moms get doted on a bit too, but it's all related to because she's having a baby. And then once a woman has a baby, the baby starts getting so much of the attention. Think about how powerful it is to build a relationship Um, or what a powerful relationship building tool it is for a woman who might be feeling lonely or might be feeling like no one's listening to her, that she doesn't have anyone to, you know, to share her experiences with, or she's not getting to speak to adults all day because her spouse or partner is gone and she's left at home with the baby or whatever it is. Think about how, what a powerful relationship building tool that is to help a woman, woman who's in a vulnerable state, feel like you genuinely care about her well-being. So how does that work if you're a physio or a health professional working with women who have been pregnant or are in the postpartum period and have never been through pregnancy or have had a baby? So how do you help women relate to them? Yeah, absolutely. So this one hits home for me, ding, 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 because I have actually never had children myself. And yet I'm super passionate about this topic of helping uh, all women. But specifically in this moment, I'm just super, uh, super passionate about helping pre and postnatal women get the coaching and care they deserve. Because from my perspective, the lack of care is just another way that we're showing women that they don't matter in the world. And that's super, super frustrating. And so for physios or other health professionals who haven't had kids, some ways that you can really relate is to educate yourself on what your patients are going through, what your clients are going through. That's one of the really valuable things about the pre and postnatal coaching certification is, you know, the first unit is is on coaching and psychology. And then the second unit is, is on anatomy and physiology. And then we cover foundational psychology, nutrition, exercise information, but all the way at the postpartum chapter, we actually discuss the birth process. We talk about what women go through when they're giving birth, whether it's a vaginal birth, whether it's a a C-section birth. Um, And then through every single chapter, when we're talking about trimester one, trimester two, trimester three, we're not only hitting on the nutrition, exercise, and rest and recovery needs, we're talking about psychologically what a lot of women are experiencing during those instances. So I think really educating yourself so that you have some idea 
and what your clients or patients are going through at every single trimester and then in the postpartum phase is really, really important. You can feel more confident that you can help your patient that way. The more knowledge you have, the more empathy that you can bring to the conversation as well. If you have no idea what, what her, you know, you know she has a C-section, but you don't know what that entails, or you know she had you know, some type of injury during her during childbirth, and you don't know what that actually means. And you're like, Oh, yeah, sorry, that happened. But if you really understand what's going on, then you can be a lot more empathetic. And there are certainly, you know, other ways that you can connect with your clients as well. So I think, you know, bringing up other patients or clients, depending on obviously, keeping them anonymous and following whatever rules you have to follow for the country or territory or area that you're in, but sharing experiences of other clients that you've helped or maybe close friends or family members who have been through similar situations, that validating, normalizing, and empathizing is going to go so far in helping you build that strong connection with your clients and patients. And I like too how you say in the book, get comfortable with some words that you may feel uncomfortable with, like specific anatomy terms, vagina, anus, labia, cervix, like all these, you know, terms that if they roll off your tongue because of, you know, learning the background to them, they feel less uncomfortable for you. And then the person, you know, feels more comfortable talking to you about problems they might have or just the topics surrounding pregnancy and childbirth. Yeah, absolutely. So not so being really clear and that there's no shame about anything that they're sharing with you. Like you said, making uh, being really just like open and honest and feeling comfortable with all the types of conversations and the language you might be using is really important. So if we go back to body embracement, why do you think it's important that patients or clients feel empowered to exercise autonomy over their own bodies? Oh my goodness. How much time do we have, Lori? How much time do we have? Because this topic is so, runs so deep and is so important. And I think that it is one of the biggest missing pieces in every, uh, certification or licensure or education, except for maybe, maybe like mental health, uh, education, um, And it's keeping us from being able to help women the way that they deserve to be helped. So first and foremost, women who feel empowered and autonomous in their bodies and like they're working with you on their treatment plan or their exercise program are going to be more bought in and they're going to be more likely to trust the treatment. But more importantly, the foundation of everything is from the time we're children and throughout our lives. It's communicated to women through our through words, through actions, through socialization, through legislation that our bodies are problematic or distracting, which is why we have dress codes for young girls and aren't allowed to bear our breasts in public and get in trouble for breastfeeding, that they're up for commentary or judgment from friends, from family, from the media, from street harassers, that we aren't in charge of our bodies, that you know our birth control and our bodies and our hygiene projects and our breasts are legislated and governed and taxed, and that we have to look this certain way to fit into this impossibly narrow context of beauty or we don't matter, that we don't matter in general, like I was saying with the pregnancy and postpartum, like if you look at the old or the kind of the old school exercise guidelines for women and things that are still pervasive today, the Exercise guidelines during pregnancy are so conservative and the ones for women postpartum are so willy-nilly. It's like, oh, six weeks, okay, you're good. Yep, you can get back to whatever you want. And it's because 
the focus has been on the baby. So it's like, well, while the mom's pregnant, we want her to be really conservative with her movement and, you know, exercises, you know, could be dangerous and whatever could hurt the baby. But then once the baby's out, it's like nobody cares. And that's just another way that we show women that they don't matter. And we're also taught that our bodies don't belong to us. This is why we're harassed and abused and assaulted and raped and made to feel uncomfortable in our bodies and fear for our lives and our jobs and our families and our career and our well-being if we try to do something about it. And when women walk into your gym or walk into your clinic to work with you, these are the women who are walking into your gym. These are the experiences that they've had. This is what they've been made to believe about their bodies. This is what they've been socialized to think is true. And this is why the people first, client second approach of recognizing that someone who walks in your door is a person before they're your client or your patient. They're someone who has a story and an experience and a history and you know, so much context that they're going to bring to your door before they're a 34 year old woman who's had incontinence and has one child. And so I think that recognizing that for a woman to feel in charge of her body is so powerful. And as a health professional, you have the opportunity to help your patients and clients feel in charge of their body, maybe for the first time in their whole lives. You have the opportunity to help them feel empowered, to make choices for themselves, to make them feel successful and confident and proud and capable and worthy of caring for themselves. And I think that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really good summary. But like you said, I think it's really important for especially women, well, for any woman, um, but those who have been pregnant and have had kids, because like you said, they, when they come in and we think, okay, pregnancy and postnatal, you forget that they had a life before they were pregnant and had a baby and they may have had a job or they may have not. They may have had other interests that, you know, they may have forgotten about themselves because their brain and body and mind is so focused on the, the present, which yes, we need to be focused on the present. Uh, but just remembering, you know, maybe you need to touch on, you know, get to know them as a person rather than just your client. So how does, How does the coaching certification help with that? Yeah, absolutely. So the coaching certification textbook is almost 500 pages. And the first 90 to 100 pages is, is, (laughs) you've got it right in front of you. Uh, the first, I believe, 100 pages or so is a, is the coaching chapter. So we walk you through, um, you know, understanding motivational interviewing. We walk you through understanding behavior-based goal setting. We walk you through building trust and leadership and leading the way for your for your clients and patients. We walk you through good communication skills. We walk you through, you know, how to um, how to help your clients and patients. Um, you know, reach their goals, how to help them validate their goals. So if they come to you and they have a goal that like, maybe you don't think is best for them, how can you work with them through that? So the whole, I guess the first four units, if whole, uh, let me think, sorry, the first four chapters, the entire units, about a hundred pages, um, has all of the information that you need to know about how to better understand, connect with, serve and empower your clients and patients. Which is where I am right now in the certification. So, and that's why, again, like I said, I maybe I just don't remember the 
if we touched on this stuff when I went to physio, but this, this is the part that I am most excited about and find the most helpful is just being able to kind of, you know, even just the thought processes behind um, what you're talking about with, with coaching and how, like you said, how to actually listen and interview people and have them make the decisions. So the way that you're teaching people how to question so that mm-hmm. it's not a yes or no question um, and you're not dictating, like you said, their treatment program, their exercise program, their their plan. You're getting them to be involved in the decision making rather than the coach or the physio or the health professional saying, no, this is what you're going to do. Yeah, you're acting as a really really educated guide for them, right? You've been down this road probably hundreds or thousands of times with other clients or patients. So you're the one with the experience, you know, what's going to help them get better. So you start presenting them with options and then try to figure out what they're willing to do. And earlier this year, we did some research within the Girl Scum Strong community to figure out about negative experiences that women had had with their coaches and trainers. And we surveyed our community and got some really incredible data. And I have to think that there was about 17 different categories that uh, that these kind of errors or things that, that coaches and trainers did to or with their clients that ended up making their clients upset. And I, I jotted down the, the top three that I wanted to share with you because I really could see uh, this also happening in the physio world. So the top three were they ignored requests from their clients or didn't listen. They overestimated or underestimated their client based on their appearance, and they couldn't relate to their client's situation. And so we talked a little bit about the importance of listening earlier, but I wanted to give a couple more um, really solid things that physios can do, Uh, because I think when you say to listen it's like, okay, great. What does that actually look like? Right? What does it, what does it look like to actively listen to someone? So I know in most physio intakes or pretty much all physio intakes, you know, you're filling out paperwork, you're asking your patient questions, but you really want to ask more about their background, which you and I kind of already dove into. Ask them a little bit about what they do for work, what they do for fun, why they're there to see you. Uh, if they got exactly what they wanted out of their session with you or their weeks with you or their times with you, what would that look like? What kind of activities would they get back to? What would their life be like? What would they be excited about? Um, repeating back to them what they say and then following up with meaningful questions that show that you're listening taking really detailed notes during your meeting so that you can refer back to your notes and specifically notes about them as a person or some of the things that they said that maybe are about their personal life so that when you see them again, you can follow back up with those questions. How was that big presentation that you had at work last time? How did that go? So they feel like that you're really listening and that you care. Being really thoughtful not to interrupt or talk over your clients, so giving them the space, making sure that they're done talking. And being thoughtful that you don't assume that you know what she's going to say. I think that one is super important. So giving them all of the space to to finish what they're going to say without any assumptions from you. Especially Have you seen therapy because, again, we are trying to work out even just from when somebody is talking, here comes my dog, um, <laughs> what could possibly be going on or wrong with them. So it's really easy to make assumptions um, and be like, oh, okay, well, you know, you have this problem. It's probably it's probably this and you may finish their sentence or like you said, kind of every eight seconds <laughs> come up <laughs> with something or interrupt or then particularly as a new grad, I remember because you're, you're not completely comfortable. You know that you don't know 
a lot. Like you learn the very minimum basics. When you're talking to someone, you have a list of questions that you need to follow. So you almost don't listen and you're just ready to think of the next question and to kind of jump in. And so you end up interrupting people or even if you don't interrupt them, you still didn't listen. You just kind of, it's like you're ticking off a list of what you need to ask them rather than actually listening. So yeah, I, I know that as a physio, I've done it before um and I still catch myself like even talking to you I'm like you know I have an idea oh that's so good but no I'll let her finish like it's you know we it's hard because that's the type of people that come into these types of professions like you want to share your information and help people um but sometimes yeah you need to take a nice big breath and just listen and just do the act of listening. And so I think that's super important. And I agree because when I hear you say something, I'm like, oh, I want to say that. And it's it's natural, especially when you're excited about what you do. Like you said, you have information that you want to share with them. But you'll find that the relationship that you build with your client or patient uh, and the trust that they have in you will go up significantly if they feel like you're actually listening to them and then following back up with meaningful questions that show you're listening. So the second thing was under or overestimating. So have you had experiences or seen or heard of physios underestimating or overestimating some of their patients based on their appearance, like assuming what they're, how they're going to be? Oh, I've done, and I've done that so many times that I remember catching myself, like you would, I'm not a horrible, mean person. I think I'm a really nice person, but I don't know if that's just the way we've been brought up, but you know, someone might come in and there's this you know, little bit of judgment that's there. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, this is going to be a, you know, this is going to be this kind of a patient. And they come in and you sit down and you chat and you're like, oh my God, I was so wrong about that person. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, why do I do that? Like, you know, over time I have learned, you know, to catch myself when I am judging people. And, but I just still think like, wow, I can't believe I thought that about somebody. And then you get to know them and you're like, oh my God, how horrible am I to think of that? (laughs) Well, and even at the very least recognizing, okay, so this is what I assumed when they walk in the door. I really need to be thoughtful about things being different than I assumed they were going to be. How is this person presenting in front of me today, even from their last session, right? So they came in, they presented a certain way in their last session. Maybe you gave them a diagnosis. You went through some certain treatments. What are you expecting to happen the next day? And how is that maybe biasing your experience with them and how you're treating them again versus how they're presenting in front of you? And with the the coaches and trainers that we um, heard about from the women in our community, so they the first and kind of most egregious thing was assuming that you know what their goals are based on their appearance. So a lot of women reported walking into a gym and uh, wanting to talk to a trainer about increasing their deadlift or being more mobile or having less pain. And the trainer automatically saying, okay, well, this is what we're going to do with your nutrition and how we're going to help you lose body fat. And they're like, yeah, I'm not interested in that. I want to increase my deadlift. And they're like, okay, perfect. So, uh, you're going to want to lower your carbs. And then this is what they're going to, and it's like, you're not listening to me. My goal has nothing to do with fat loss. My goal has to do with getting stronger or, you know, more mobile or whatever. So assuming that, you know, what their goals are based on their appearance was one of the most, um, probably the most prevalent kind of, uh, things that women in our community said made them feel alienated from their coach or trainer. The next was um, being told what's wrong with them during their assessment. And I bet you can talk a lot about that as a physio. uh, When you're assessing a patient, you've probably heard stories, maybe from your patients or other people in your community of physios, 
who just tell a patient the whole time everything that's wrong with them. Which is really difficult, especially in the in the pelvic health world, because there's still so much that we don't know, and there's so much that we're learning. Um, and I mean, this we've talked about it on this podcast podcast quite often. You know, there's a certain muscle that can be damaged in childbirth that for some people is damaged more than others. Um, and it's a finding that's relatively new in the clinical and research world. Um, and we don't know enough about how it can be treated or helped. But as soon as, as soon as physios or other or even health professionals learn about this, say, particular condition or um, injury, they're really excited to, if they think they find it, which really the only way to find it is through real-time ultrasound. Clinically, the more experience you have, it's kind of, it's easier to, to pick up, but you still don't truly know unless you have ultrasound. But they will then um, explain all of this to somebody, and for a lot of people, it can be really, it can really, really mess with their mind, especially since we still don't really know what to do when we find it, and like we know it could possibly increase their chances of having more prolapse later in life. But then, so then people will then spit out all of this stuff to the person, and they kind of it's not oversharing. I know that people want to give as much information as they can, but you know, in part, it could be overdiagnosing. Like prolapse is one of those you know issues that we still don't actually know what a normal amount of organ mobility is in the pelvis. So you know, people who have prolapse sometimes have been told they have stage one, which stage one is probably, and this is what they're looking at research, the amount of movement in a stage one prolapse is actually probably not prolapse. It's just that normal amount of mobility. Like it's not concrete in there. So if somebody's bladder moves half of a centimeter, they're being told they have prolapse. And it's kind of like, well, actually, no, that's just a normal amount of movement in there. Okay. So yeah, it, I think it's it's huge in the physio world. So in the fitness world, does that happen as well? It totally happens. And it's so interesting because, you know, then what goes through a woman's mind when you tell her that she has pelvic organ prolapse, right? She might change the way she moves, change the way she exercises, change the way she, she has sex, change the way she views her body, change her, you know, feelings toward or relationship with her child, even if she feels like, you know what I mean? There's some kind of blame or shame or fault. And like, it's just, yeah, it's so intense. And especially if you're telling patients what's wrong with them and you don't really have anything that you know for sure can help them. It's so challenging. I, um, visited a, uh, chiropractor one time and throughout my entire assessment, so first of all, as a health professional, everybody uses all the big words with me, right? And they talk really fast and they don't take the, take the time to explain, you know, what they're talking about that much. And they just assume, <laughs> they just assume that I know uh, everything that they're saying. And this one in particular, um, I think he's quite good at what he does from a technical standpoint, but throughout the entire evaluation, he was saying, well, this is, you know, this is week and this is tight and he'd do a test and then he'd do something else. He'd be like, see how that got better. And the whole time it was just basically like, see all of these things that are wrong on your body that I can fix. And having been in this industry for a long time and having a really good relationship with myself and my body and feeling comfortable with my abilities, uh, it didn't really bother me, but I was thinking, Oh my gosh. And I'm not certain he would do that to someone else who 
uh, maybe doesn't have my same background, but thinking like, oh my gosh, if I sent my mom here and she listened for 45 minutes about all of the things that are wrong with her body, how, you know, would she, would she want to come back? Would she feel badly about herself? Would she be afraid of sitting a certain way or doing something with her body? Would she be afraid of hurting herself? How would she carry herself? How would she be walking around? What would her beliefs about her body be? Um, so yeah, I think that's a, that's a really, um, big issue in the world of health and fitness and with with people who are going to actually be doing exercise and training with you if you're a coach or a, or a fitness professional um we found that they were coaches who would again assume weight loss goals for people that they thought had a body that was outside of what they found to be acceptable whatever that means and then there were women who were overestimated because they seemed to be really lean or fit or in shape and so trainers would put them through really quote unquote hardcore like assessments or first workouts to try to like maybe assess dominance or make them think that they know what they're doing because they know how to crush someone in a workout um which is just unbelievable and in every instance where that happened, the women reported feeling apprehensive or unsafe. And in every incidence of the women that we surveyed who ex who were injured, every single one of the women who experienced injury under the care of their coach or trainer said that their trainer also pushed them too hard and they felt apprehensive or unsafe. So yeah, it happens all the time in this, in this industry. And I think that, um, and then also I, I would say physios probably know, know this a bit better than coaches or trainers, but, uh, and this is a mistake that I've made in the past, but suggesting that a client may or should be in pain, uh, based on the way that their posture looks or based on the way that they move. That's one that that's a mistake that I made. Gosh, seven, six, seven years ago, something like that saying, Oh, does your lower back hurt? Because the way that you do this, it looks like that that would, uh, I could just strangle myself for that one. Yeah. We've had, we've had a lot of conversations lately in physiotherapy about the language and types of words and conversations that we have with people. And it all had, most of it had stemmed from kind of the population dealing with pain and persistent pain, but it goes to everybody, little things that you don't realize because sometimes you do, you know, every, you, generally we have the best intentions but say you're you know oh well I've had somebody who's had this in the past and this made them worse or just little things that you don't realize that people really will take and sometimes that will be the only thing that they hear and then it just stirs and sits in their mind um, mm -hmm. and like you said like even just the word posture or blaming posture on a lot of things which I find is really big in the fitness community. It is. It's um, huge. And I do find, uh, I don't know, like, because physiotherapy is an evidence-based profession, and I think that the fitness world is moving towards that, but that's not, it's not an evidence-based research type of community. Sometimes they're a little bit behind the times that I still see mm -hmm. a lot of, um, you know, things being blamed on posture and that there is a perfect position and posture that you need to be in, which is funny because in the pain world, a lot of people are actually too rigid. And one of the big things that they do will be teaching people how to slouch and to relax mm. and let go and that sitting slumped is okay. And that, you know, this type of position or posture is not the um, reason why you have all of this pain or is going to cause all of this pain. So yeah, mm -hmm. it's interesting. And that's one of the, the things that was really exciting for me about the certification and having the 
uh, interdisciplinary evidence-based body positive approach to the pre and postnatal coaching certification and bringing in all the experts. So we had six physios, five of whom are, are pelvic health physios. We had four pre and postnatal experts, three PhDs, and actually, actually four PhDs. But when I list out the people, the numbers don't add up. And so then I get a lot of questions about it. When I say we had 16 experts, we have all these people, the women were so talented. There's a woman on our, on our team like you, who's a physio and also a PhD. I know you're pursuing your PhD. So we have on your team. I just support you. (laughs) No, no. But I mean, she, she is like you in that she is a physio and a PhD. So technically we have four PhDs. So so six physios, uh, four pre and postnatal experts, four PhDs, an OBGYN, a nurse practitioner, is also a midwife and a doula, and everyone brought their uh, expertise, both from an educational, from a you know formal education standpoint, from a practical and clinical standpoint. And you'll be very happy to know that in the textbook we talk about the fact that there's no perfect posture, and we talk about the importance of movement variability and being able to uh, move. Yeah, move your body through. Sandy Hilton was not going to let this fly, right? She was not going to let us talk about pain and yeah, pain and posture being uh, or posture being the cause of pain. Um, yeah, so we bringing that evidence based approach to the fitness world is something that we are super passionate about because, like you said, it has not been based on that for so long. It's been bro science and it's been fear based marketing and it's been did you say bro science? Know, Bro science, Bro yeah. Science. I've never heard of that. What's that? Oh, you. Oh, oh. Okay. So yes, you. You haven't been in the fitness world very much. It's a. Uh, well, it is actually kind of a gendered insult. So probably not something that I should that I should be using. But it's the quote unquote bro science term. Um, is the idea that like, um, it's taking taking information that uh, does not necessarily have evidence or research to support it and speaking about it as if it were gospel because people who have been successful, i.e. meatheads in the gyms, i.e. bros, are preaching it. So it's this idea that like, well, he's the biggest guy in the gym. Of course, he knows what he's talking about, you know, or like when I was uh, getting ready for a figure competition a million years ago, I was doing sprints in the gym. And this guy told me that I really needed to sprint with my knees higher up because that's what would give me the cuts on the side of my waist. So that's bro science. That's a perfect example of bro science. And this guy is super shredded, like looks like he has 0% body fat. He's a sprinter. well, he was a football player and track athlete. I don't know if he's, if he, what he did specifically running track, but so he's, he looks like that. Right. And he attributes the way that he looks to the fact that he runs in this really specific way. So then he's telling me if I want to look like him, then that's what I have to do. So that's, that's the bro science. There is more evidence-based, um, information kind of infiltrating the the fitness community. And I hope that we are a big part of that happening because that's something that's super important to us. But, uh, but yeah, we're certainly a lot farther behind than the physio community in that way. Now, did we touch on the third thing? Oh, so the third thing was when they felt like, oh, so in the last thing on under overestimating them would be spending, not spending a lot of time talking about what they can't do, which I think is really important. Um, and one, one more example, uh, and this was, again, was with a coach or trainer was when a coach or trainer had a client do an exercise and they said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you could do that. That was awesome. 
And it's like, wait a second, why are you why are you setting your client up to do an exercise at which you think that they will most likely not be successful? So, I know, absolutely wild. So wait, so number, go back to that. So you're, what what about the can't do? As in telling people what they can't do. Yeah, so it kind of goes along with telling them what's wrong with them during their assessment. So if they, you know, you're assessing their squat, for example, and it's like, okay, well, we're definitely not going to load you with weight right now because your squat looks really bad and your knees are caving in. And so instead of doing that, just say, hey, this is, you know, that squat looks great. I'm actually going to see what it looks like over here off a box right now. Okay, great. How does that look? How does that feel? Like instead of telling them what they can't do, setting them up with exercises where you know that they're going to be successful. Yeah, which is good until they then ask, can I do this? Like, okay, well, not just yet. <laughs> Let's yes, focus not on this yet. Stuff. Yep. Exactly. But you're doing great. You're doing really well with this. And I think you'll yeah. be able to try that next week, you know, staying really fast. And if you do your exercises at home, then there's, there's a higher likelihood that you'll be able to do this when you come in next time. Yeah. Um, so the third thing was that when uh, – was when clients felt like their coach or trainer couldn't relate to them. And this came in or showed up in a variety of different ways. So it um, showed up in coaches or trainers who dismissed or said women were dumb for having a certain goal. So it's really popular in the fitness world for women to tell their trainer that they want to get more toned. And for someone who's been in the health and fitness industry for a long time, for a lot of us, it sounds kind of like nails on a chalkboard when somebody says that or it has sounded like that because we feel like this idea of toned is um, kind of, and I know the word tone means something in the, in the physio world, but from the way that people are using it in the world of fitness is this long, lean, muscle, slim, um, you know, lightly muscled, whatever kind of perspective, right? Like the Pilates yoga bar, like the way that they all advertise, you're going to get long, lean muscles and you're going to get toned. And so women think that like, they'll be like, I don't want to gain any more muscle. I just want to tone the muscle I have. And again, I understand in the physio world that tone is a thing, but it's, it's, uh, it we get it in that world though too, because we, you know, especially those of us who are women are still, um, seeing that and hearing that and maybe even sometimes feeling that and this is why I love the world of heavy weightlifting for women and you know particularly CrossFit mainly because that's more of the world that I know but that you know it's less of the thin you know some tone and muscle and more of um, besides the kind of elite world with some of the social media and kind of the the other types of bodies but just that you know muscles and and Mm -hmm. the ability to do things rather than this is how you know you should look yeah and I think that uh, and what I saw happen probably around like the 2012-2013 time period is where that pendulum started to swing and CrossFit started to become a lot more popular and people started saying real women have muscles and strong is the new skinny and all these kinds of things. And and essentially these messages were intended to be empowering for women. They were intended to say muscles are good. Strong is good. Powerful is good, but they were doing it at the expense of the women with the other bodies. And so for me, what I really love about, um, what I love about CrossFit, what I love about the body positive movement, what I love about, um, what's happening some of the good parts of social media right now is that 
I believe that we're actually starting to see more different shapes and sizes of women's bodies. And it's helping us expand our definition of what we find to be beautiful or attractive, or it, it, it took that, uh, the media's stronghold that it had on the definition of beauty for so long when it defined it in this in this context that was so narrow and was always moving, right? Like you see the body images that were, or the bodies that were considered beautiful in the twenties and thirties and forties and fifties and sixties. And like there were, there's literally like body parts that are trendy at certain times, yeah. right? Like boobs are trendy and then big butts are trendy and then abs are trendy. Um, Cause it's, it, it's a, it's a moving target, but social media on the, on the one hand can be uh, really I think detrimental to women's body images based on who the, who they're who following, they're following yeah. but it it can also be really nourishing and beneficial for women based on who they're following. So there was an interesting study in the Journal of Sex Roles. I'm going to get the journal wrong. I can't remember, but they took 81 women and they had them rate how they felt about their bodies and then they showed them either images of models or neutral images and they had them rate how they felt about their bodies again. And every single woman who looked at images of models felt more body dissatisfaction than they had before they looked at them and the neutral folks who looked at neutral images had no change. And so we know that exposing ourselves to a particular body type is probably not going to be good for us. But we also know that exposing ourselves to a wider variety of body types can actually be really helpful to help us, like I said, expand our own definition of what we find healthy and fit and beautiful and, you know, how we want to look, maybe what our goals are. So I think that's really exciting um, that sports like CrossFit are, are, are wedging their way in there and really helping expand that and, and showing what women are capable of um, and really celebrating these, these strong muscled bodies that might not have been celebrated five or 10 years ago. And I need to know, I think people need to know that nobody's exempt from that. As in, no matter how much kind of self-confidence you have and self-esteem you have, you are not, I have found myself struggle with the same thing. Like you, I don't know, I don't even know how sometimes I end up following certain people or things. (laughs) And I love Instagram because I don't have to think. I don't even have to read Mm -hmm. anything. I just go Mm -hmm. through pictures. And I have gone through periods where I'm like, why do I feel like crap and inadequate? And what is, and then I'm like, you know what? It's these, it's the, the things that you constantly see. And I tell my kids all the time. So I've got a girl, so I'm really aware of this. And she's almost mm-hmm. seven. But I tell them like, you can't unsee things. Even if you forget about it, it's in there. Like, especially they want to watch scary movies. And I'm like, I still remember some of the horror movies I watched <laughs> way too young. And I slept in my mom's bed forever. And I'm like, I know you think that you will see it and forget about it or it doesn't bug you, but it's in there. Like you, you might be able to forget things you hear, but your brain retains those images somewhere in your mind and then they just Mm -hmm. sit and play. And so then you go through this period of like, oh, I just don't feel like I'm enough. And then I had literally gone, oh my God, it's because of what I've been looking at at Instagram and I'll go back through and just delete stuff and delete those people. So I'm like, I don't need to see it. It doesn't help me in my life. And most Mm -hmm. of the time, if I continue to see it, it just makes me feel like crap. Yes, absolutely. I love that you said that because we talk a lot about, um, about helping women or encouraging women to curate their social media feed and follow 
organizations that display a wide variety of body shapes and sizes and ages and ability levels and races. And, um, it's, and it's super, super important for us to, to be exposed to those on a regular basis. I think that's super important. So the, the couldn't relate uh, goal, we could talk about, come, go back and talk about the things that we were just talking about all day, I'm sure, but getting back to the couldn't relate goal. So there, uh, was a time that I was interviewed for this particular website. And this guy said, um, tell me why, or tell me, uh, how much it makes you want to stab yourself in the eye with a fork when a woman tells you that she wants to get toned. And I think he was, you know, expecting me to respond back and be like, Oh, that question's so dumb. It's so annoying. It's so, you know, women should just lift heavy weights and they should not, you know, not worry about that. And, and so I kind of wrote back and was like, you know what, I'm actually not going to tell you that because from my perspective, if someone, if a client or patient shares with us their goal, um, invalidating their goal or making them feel dumb for having that goal is the quickest way to burn that bridge and lose the trust from that client. And you know, if a woman says like, I'm afraid I'm going to get bulky, you don't need to say that's stupid. Women don't have the hormone profile to get bulky because you don't actually know what bulky looks like to her. Maybe bulky to her is gaining two to three to four pounds of muscle, right? Which very well may happen if she starts strength training. So genetically, you don't know their makeup. (laughs) Exactly. And so it's getting to the root of, Hey, that's, you know, that's a really common fear that a lot of women have. Can you tell me where that comes from? Get all the way circle, full circle back to getting curious. Can you tell me where that comes from? Can you tell me what bulky might look like to you? Um, have you had any experiences in the past, in the past where you worked out or strength trained or, you know, and something happened to your body that you didn't like? Okay. Well, are you open and willing to, um, you know, to try some body weight exercises that, you know, I'd like to show you, are you open to that? Right. So just getting curious with them, validating how they're feeling, normalizing and not making them feel dumb for, for having a specific goal or for coming to you saying like, this is what I want to do. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is how I want my body to look. Um, not being able to relate to your client, I think is a really big deal breaker for a lot of women. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so is there anything else that you want to tell people about the coaching and care um, topic that we're talking about today or even anything with the pre- and postnatal coaching certification as a whole? Oh, I think we I think we pretty much covered all the good stuff. I would love to hear a little bit from you. I know you've only been through a couple of chapters, but I remember I was so honored uh, the first time I did this kind of show with you when you said Girl Scout Strong has a pre and postnatal coaching certification and don't roll your eyes. It's the real deal. So I would, I know you haven't been all the way through it, but from, from your perspective, from what you know of the women who were involved in the certification and what you know of, uh, you know, the materials that you have in your hands and how they're put together and all of the information that's included, I would love to know a little bit about what you think, uh, what, of what we're doing. Well, like you have already touched on, the fact that you have used all these amazing, smart people in order to develop it and didn't just, I mean, which there's nothing wrong with having a really good idea and acting on it, but you wanted to make sure 
that you had the right people with the right knowledge from a variety of disciplines so that it wasn't just a physiotherapist helping you behind it and it wasn't just somebody from the health and fitness world that you know that um, that all these different disciplines can come together and work together and that there is research and evidence but there's also you know, that's still not everything again from a physio world you can be way too research evidence mm-hmm. focused and like we said we still don't have all the data on everything and then there's the whole world of research can also be corrupt (laughs) as well. So the fact that you've also taken all the the clinical side of things and have brought all these women together and have put this as, you know, everything that you feel is the most important altogether in one and that you're willing to update that and change that as new information comes in. So how do you do that again? You're going to like it, yeah, are you changing a text or do you just add stuff online? Yeah, so that's a super great question. So the thing that uh, uh, so okay, I got to pull up pull up something that I was saying to someone in our uh, coaching and training women Facebook group earlier today because I think it is so um, it's so core to everything that we do and it's all about the information being the most important. So I said. Earlier today, a member of this group asked me some questions about our CBPC that gave me the chance to share a bit about the women behind the certification and their role in creating the curriculum, and I thought it would be of interest to the rest of you. What I love so much about what this team of women has created is the truly interdisciplinary approach that incorporates physios and pre- and postnatal experts with PhDs, behavior change experts, psychologists, molecular biologists, doulas, OBGYNs, and nutritionists. And these women weren't just kind of involved. Many of the experts shown here spent hundreds of hours writing, reviewing, editing, discussing, and challenging the curriculum. I didn't want one chapter written by one expert and another chapter written by another expert. I wanted every chapter and unit to be written, reviewed, checked, rechecked, and edited by multiple women. So every chapter of the textbook was written and reviewed by no fewer than six of the experts. I wanted them to challenge one another's ideas and methods and integrate the best available evidence and research with their practical experience and what they were finding to be true in their clinics and hospitals and gyms with their clients and patients. I'll be honest, this led to lots of back and forth and some hard and exciting discussions as the experts challenged one another's information and ultimately came together to decide how to present the information in a way that it would have the most the utmost integrity. But it was so worth it. I'm so proud to have worked alongside these world-class women in creating the curriculum for the certification. And so... I, <laughs> I'm sorry, my husband is <laughs> pretending. It happens. You know. Get out of here. The dog can come back. You can get out. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. So, yeah. And so for me, the integrity of the information is the most important thing, bar none, no matter what. If something comes out six months from now that shows that what we said about, you know, diastasis recti or pelvic organ prolapse or whatever is no longer the best available information that we have, my ego. I don't care. That's not what I'm interested. I'm interested in getting people the best information. So from our perspective, as new research does come out, we're going to be emailing our community. So say you have, you have version one of the textbook. So as new information comes out that affects the type, the information that we've provided in the textbook, we're going to email our community. And then every probably year to year and a half, we're going to update all of the curriculum and release a new version of the textbook. So I, I would say at most we would go two years between updating the textbook. So we're going to be regularly updating the information 
uh, in hardcover form, but also keeping all of our uh, students and graduates updated on our new findings. And so they're going to have access to that. And then everyone's going to have access to upgrade their textbook from version one to version two or version two to version three for a nominal fee. So they're not going to have to purchase the the entire certification again. They'll have an opportunity to upgrade. We don't know exactly what that cost will be yet, but it's essentially going to be what it costs for us to print the textbook, um, ship the textbook, plus, you know, maybe a small admin fee on top of it. So um, again, we want to make sure that people are as up to date on the best practices in this field as possible. And so for me, that's what's most important in terms of maintaining the integrity of the information. Nice. And like I said, I have only really been through the first few chapters, which is the chapters I was most excited about because from the physio world, it's the whole coaching and psychology behind things um, Mm -hmm. that I'm really excited to learn and get better with. Because again, as physios, we are coaches. We just don't realize that we're that is part of our role. We get so focused on the anatomy and the physiology and the exercise and the treatment. And I think, yeah, I think working on the psychology side of thing a little bit more um, is really, really helpful. So I'm excited to get into the rest of the book. Um, and I'm sure in future podcasts, <laughs> I will update people on what I'm thinking. But no, I really, really love it. And yeah, I'm still so excited for it. Well, thank you, Lori. It means so much to me to have someone uh, of your caliber believe in the work that we're doing. It's true. Don't make that face. It's true to have someone of your caliber believe in and and feel comfortable standing behind what we're doing because I know uh, I have so much respect for you and I know everyone that listens to this has so much respect for you. The fact that that you believe in it uh, means a lot to me. And the fact that you're taking some of your valuable time away from all of the other stuff that you're doing to uh, to read and learn and support it is super meaningful to me. So thank you so much for having me on here. And I really hope um, this episode helps people get a better understanding of what the certification's about. And if they have any questions, they can email us at info at girlsgonestrong.com. They can learn more about the certification at academy.girlsgunstrong.com. And they can also request to join our GGS Coaching and Training Women Facebook group. And I will be in there constantly for the next, what, a seven, twelve, I don't even know. What day is it? Today's Friday? Okay. I'll be in there constantly for the next two weeks answering everyone's questions so if you've got any questions uh, let me know all right and I'll put the links in the show notes so that people can find all of that information and um, when after this enrollment closes when's the next one mm-hmm. yeah so the next one will be sometime between September and November of 2018 so um and you don't have to already be certified to purchase the certification. We do ask that you have, if you're a fitness professional, um, that you have a certification from another uh, large governing body and have insurance and all of those things because this is a specialty certification. Um, we recommend that you have a general certification or another background um, uh, before you take it, but you don't have to have that already to buy it. You just would need to have your other certification. We have people who are in the middle of like a NASM certification or an ACE certification, and they want to know if they can go ahead and enroll in this. You can enroll in this. We just ask that you don't put it into practice until you have your other general certification as well. Um, and 
I totally lost my train of thought, but I think that that's, yeah. So, so, oh, so if you, if you're going to finish, that's what I was trying to say. If you're going to finish your exam, for example, for like your other certification in like, you know, July or something, and you don't want to have to wait until sometime between September and November to go ahead and get this one, you can jump in on this enrollment now. It's self-paced, so you can do it. Obviously, as Lori said, you can, you can. I, I don't know when I started. It was, when was the first one? When was the first September. September. But you, and but you didn't get your book till like October though, right? February so. and I'll just tell everyone right now, I'm on page 52. <laughs> I'm However, uh, how much research have you done and how much PhD coursework have you done and how many patients have you treated and how many children have you reared in that meantime? So that's the amazing yeah, it's my nighttime and holiday reading right now. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. The fact that you want to read, well, you would run, want to read a textbook on your nighttime yeah. and holiday reading anyway. I'm but weird. Uh, All right. Thank you so much, Molly. Thank you, Lori. I really appreciate it. We'll chat. Bye.